Hello, everyone. What's going on? Back here on another episode of the Long Relief Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. Austin Dakota back with you. And joining me today, a very special guest, Zach Berman. Zach is filling in today for Barrett Hodgson. Zach, thank you for taking time to come on the show and welcome. Oh, no problem. Thank you for inviting me on. It's good to be, it's good to be on. Good to start kicking the tires on what's going to be a fun, tumultuous offseason. Hopefully the CBA can get their or you know what together. Yeah, we all hope that we avoid the MLB lockout. But Zach, first, let's talk a little bit about you. Zach, me and you are going to be broadcasting together down in the Cape Cod Baseball League this coming summer for the Hyannis Harbor Hawks. But why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background in broadcasting, and kind of where you're at now? Okay, so a little bit about me. And I know I don't have my camera on, so you can't see that I'm wearing a Harbor Hawks shirt right now. But... <laughs> I grew up in the New York metropolitan area in New Jersey. I am currently a senior at the University of Missouri. I've done three and a half years of play-by-play and radio hosting with Mizzou Student Radio. I spent last summer with the Fremont Move, formerly of the Expedition League. They actually just joined a new league, the Independence League, which is just a kind way to say the Expedition League folded. But Besides that, I work University of Missouri sports. I'll do some freelance work around mid-mo from time to time. I actually just got recently hired as the uh, PA announcer for Lincoln University basketball down in Jefferson City. So about a 30, 45-minute drive south of me. But anything else that you need to know, I am a diehard New Jersey Devils fan. So if you find me on Twitter, odds are I'm talking about that because – those the devils are just that's my lifetime thing hockey at the end of the day while i love baseball and it's the sport that is most readily available because obviously going into broadcast baseball is the only sport being played in the summer where you can just go and intern and call games but down the line if i'm looking 10 15 20 years the goal is eventually to wind up in the nhl but Sports wherever happy place. I know I've said the word happy like five times, so I'll send it back to you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And it seems like you've done a ton of different sports too. You hinted at it bas- uh, baseball, some hockey, uh, football, and Zach, it's important as a broadcaster, what me and Barrett have talked about on the show, is being able to be versatile and being able to do many different things, wear many different hats. And heading into the MLB offseason, there's a bunch of different guys available that teams are looking at that can wear many different hats. A couple of those free agents are guys who had an incredible World Series run uh, with the Atlanta Braves, the team who won the World Series in six games over the Houston Astros. You have Jock Peterson hitting free agency, Jorge Soler, a lot of different guys with their contracts coming up, Eddie Rosario. But looking at that World Series, the Braves go over the Astros in six games. What are your biggest takeaways from the World Series as a whole? My biggest takeaway from the World Series, and there's always been a little bit of some controversy around this take. You saw a lot of reactions after the days after the Braves won of, oh, the World Series didn't determine the best team in baseball. And it's never been that way. The team that tends to win the World Series is not usually the best team in baseball in terms of wins and losses. It's who gets hot at the right time. You saw it with the Nationals. You saw it with, you know, you go back to some of those Red Sox teams in 04 and 
2013. And you saw it with the Braves this year. And my biggest question, because clearly it was an unbelievable run and it all comes down to the job that Alex Anthopoulos did at the deadline is you have Mike Soroka, Ronald Acuna coming back. How much of the band do you choose to keep together that helped you get over the hump against the Dodgers and then against the Astros when you have your superstar and your ace? I actually picked Mike Soroka at the start of the year to be a Cy Young finalist. And I was pretty, pretty close on most of my award predictions. That was not one of them, but we all know what he's capable of. And he wasn't in down the line and Charlie Morton, he was only on a one-year deal. So we don't really know what the Braves are going to try and do. And it's a bit of a tall task as to how do they run it back? Which pieces do they keep? Which pieces do they let go? And is Ronald Acuna going to be the same player when he comes back from his ACL? Yeah, and one of the biggest things you hinted at is teams who win the World Series, oftentimes fans of that team fall in love with a certain player. Uh, like when the Red Sox won in 2018, fans fell in love with Steve Pierce because he was World Series MVP. He had a great run in the postseason, and the Red Sox ended up giving him $8 million to come back for a year, and I don't think he played many games. And sometimes guys like that get hot at the right time. I mean, I don't know that Jock Peterson will have as big of a, you know, a, a downward spiral as Steve Pierce did next year. But as they look at it, do the Braves bring back Peterson and Rosario? Or do they kind of let Kristen Pache come up and take more reps in the outfield? And with Acuna back, where do you put him? There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle to put together. And it's an incredibly tough task as a general manager, I think, in the MLB. I mean, tougher than in any other sport, because I think in the NBA, you can guarantee it and you can, you can really bank on your star players. In the MLB, you don't know who's going to get hurt. You don't know which guys, which role players are going to come back and be the same because in, in, in a league like the NBA or the NFL, you can rely on a, a number four option or, you know, a, a number three receiver to come back and be solid for a couple of, a couple more seasons. But can you really rely on these guys to come back and put together a hot stretch like they did this year? And, Looking at that Braves pitching rotation, I think, like you mentioned, with Soroka coming back, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton possibly, depending on his health and where things are with him, um, and Max Fried, obviously, though that combo, I think they're good enough to run it back and not only win the NL East, but possibly get back to the NLCS. I agree that the Braves are definitely good enough to run it back for me it's just a matter of are the Dodgers going to reload are the Giants a one-year wonder or are they as good as we saw them this year winning 107 games what happens with a team like maybe Philadelphia maybe and I know I'm gonna say this and all my fellow New Jerseyans New Yorkers are gonna get get on me for this maybe the Mets finally have their year where they can put it together Maybe Philadelphia doesn't underachieve for once. You really don't know. And it's so tough to say because a lot of people after the Nationals won the World Series were just about convinced that, yeah, the Nats are going to run it back. They're bringing the whole team back. That wasn't the case. Two years later, the Nats wound up having to blow up most of their core at the deadline. So it's a really, really, really tough thing to repeat. You saw it, you saw it with the Dodgers this year. Injuries, you know, guys overachieving, underachieving. Building a dynasty in baseball is nearly impossible to do. 
which is why you have to savor as an organization or as a fan base, these individual championships, these runs, Atlanta made it close so many times in the 90s. They only got one out of it. But this team just definitely seemed to catch lightning in a bottle. And while they're definitely going to be a playoff team next year, I think that's without a doubt. At the same time, you do really wonder, can they really reach that peak again? Especially to win another World Series, though. Like, you have Houston's going to come back hungry. The Red Sox are clearly further ahead than where we thought they were at the start of the year. Toronto's knocking on the door. The Yankees are still the Yankees. Maybe the White Sox can get a little bit closer. The top of the, of the MLB pinnacle is pretty crowded right now. There's more high-end elite teams at once than I've seen in a long time. And then you have your analytical darlings, like your Tampas or your Giants, or Oakland's not going to get up there, but Seattle is knocking on the door out there. There's a lot more parity, it feels like, than there is has been in recent years. Yeah, Zach, and you mentioned it. A lot of different teams can really have a shot at it this year in the MLB. Uh, you have about 15 to 20 teams, I think, that I could look at and say, you know, I can see them making a run at the World Series where in years past, I kind of think it can usually narrow it down to a good 7 to 10 teams. But I think the AL East, for example, is a good way to look at it. They had four teams with at least 91 wins last year. And I don't really see any of those teams really regressing in a major way. I think a lot of those guys are going to improve. Obviously, Vlad Jr. with the Blue Jays is going to get better. The Blue Jays might lose Marcus Semien depending on the free agent status with him. I think the Red Sox are going to get better. The Yankees are obviously going to try to spend to avoid a first-round exit like they did this year. And the Rays just continue to be competitive. So that's an incredibly competitive division. You mentioned the NL East, how the Braves could make a run, the Phillies, possibly the Mets. So every team, I think, has about three teams you could look at and say, I don't know if there's necessarily a favorite. I think a lot of teams can make a run at it. Now, it depends on, I think, where these shortstops go in the offseason, how some teams retool. But I think it, we're in for a very competitive 2022 season as long as the lockout ends before we get going. As much as I would love to be the center of attention on the Cape next summer, I would really, really prefer for the Cape League to not be the biggest league playing <laughs> next summer in the sport of baseball. Yeah, that would be nice. I would, I would, as much as, you know, I would like the views and the audience, and I'm sure we'd get a good crowd, it would be nice to have MLB baseball. I don't think I can go a full summer without it. I wouldn't even like to cut into it because last year we had, what, 60 games or two years ago when during the pandemic? I don't think I can do another one of those seasons. Neither can I. At the same time, there's a weird sentimental part of me that misses staying up at 3 in the morning to watch the KBO, so you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> That, that I do remember that. That was not a terrible time. You know, it exposed me to some more baseball. But in terms of Major League Baseball, I think we have a very interesting offseason ahead, not only with the CBA and trying to figure out what we can do to get, to get the players and the owners to agree on something, but I think in terms of free agency, as things kind of continue to roll on, uh, the only real move that's been made, I guess, is the Dodgers. They signed Andrew Heaney to a one-year, $8 million contract. That's the only real major news I think that's happened at this point well I say this as a Yankees fan Andrew Heaney was a little bit of a notorious name among the fan base or as we affectionately called him back in New York Heen dog <laughs> wasn't great had a knack for giving up home runs but I will say this in defense of Andrew Heaney the fact that he has stuff is very apparent 
And I'm not going to deny that, but at the same time, if any team can figure out Andrew Heaney, it would be the Los Angeles Dodgers. He is capable of being a good pitcher, and I refuse to believe that he's just going to stick the way he is. He's got the stuff. He's got the velocity. He's got the movement on his pitches. It's a good, low-risk, high-reward signing for Los Angeles. Worst comes to worst, he can be a long-arm bullpen guy. Like, we're seeing so so many of these guys become important in the playoffs. You're Nick Pavetta-type pitchers or Michael King if you're going off the Yankees. These guys that can come in in the playoffs and eat three or four innings at a time, that's important, and it's taken on an even bigger role as – you know, baseball has shifted more towards analytics and more towards, you know, mixing up arms when you get into the playoffs. Yeah, I think Heaney also, that signing's not a bad one for him. He takes a one-year deal to bet on himself a bit, and then if things go well with the Dodgers, he could lock himself into a multi-year contract worth north of, you know, $40 million or so. I think it's a good way to bet on himself, and he goes to an organization, as you mentioned, that's pretty good at developing left-handed pitchers. You look at the guys who have come out in recent years and some of the reclamation progress they've had too with Alex Wood being able to fix him up a little bit and make him a pretty relevant starter and helping them down the stretch. Now, David Price didn't exactly go as planned for them, but he was more of a throw-in in the Mookie bet straight anyways. But it's a good organization to be in because he also doesn't have to be, you know, a top-of-the-line starter. The expectations for him aren't super high. He's kind of a middle-of-the-rotation-to-back-end-of-the-rotation kind of guy, and I don't think... You know, the expectations are going to be sky high. But with the Heaney signing at one year, $8 million, does this signal that Kershaw is no longer going to be a Dodger? What do you think about that, Zach? Is Kershaw's days as a Dodger done? I personally would be stunned if he comes back. And it's shocking to say, and first of all, I think this would be different if he didn't get his ring last year. But now that he's got a ring with the Dodgers... It feels like, and this is just gut talking, I can totally see the Angels making a play for him. Probably overpaying for a guy that's a little bit past his prime in terms of age, but he's got the prestige. He doesn't have to move and stay in Southern California. It feels like a very Angels play to go out and probably overpay for Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, that's an interesting destination. I hadn't thought about it a ton. I know a lot of people are drawing connections to him in the Texas Rangers or um, possibly a team kind of in that area. But the Angels would make a lot of sense. He wouldn't have to move. He would get a, probably a decent contract, like you mentioned. I remember when C.J. Wilson, uh, the lefty, signed from Texas to the Angels. They gave him a boatload of money as well. Uh, and I think that's a more low-key kind of spot for Kershaw, too. It's not as much of a pressure spot as L.A. at this point in his career. Uh, just outside of L.A. being in Anaheim, he doesn't have as much, uh, I guess, expectations as the Dodgers does. Because if, if he goes back to the Dodgers, the expectation is a World Series. But if he goes to the Angels, there's not as much attention on him there. And I think getting to add an arm like Kershaw could help the Angels get some stability in their rotation, depending on his health. But if they overspend on Kershaw, where does that leave them to add you know, a number three or four starter because the Angels don't just need one starting pitcher. They need two or three. They don't just need one, but I'm also going off of the assumption of how they've operated as an organization where they sometimes make moves based on prestige or splash or trying to get headlines 
as opposed to what would be right for the organization, what would help them further themselves as a team. You look at, you know, overspending on Pujols, overspending on Rendon, I could go on and on and on. But you you don't, I just, I don't understand their organizational philosophy. I never have. And they're eventually going to have to spend big on Otani because they don't want to let him go. But Kershaw does seem like an angel move. I can see him going somewhere in Texas. But what I look back to, and this is, I can see why the Angels would bring him in for the same reason they brought Rendon in. He's a guy that knows how to win in a clubhouse that doesn't have very many of them. Yeah, and I think the Angels as a team as a whole, if you get a healthy Mike Trout back, you have Otani, if he can stay healthy, Rendon, you're not terribly far away from making the playoffs once again. I think it's a tough division uh, outside the Rangers, and I think the A's are going to need a year or two to kind of get back to where they want to be. But the Mariners are on the up and up, not necessarily proven yet. They missed the playoffs. The Astros might be without Correa, depending on what happens with him. It seems based on their offer, he's gone. Verlander could be leaving the Astros. They might have some issues retooling a bit, but we know how competitive that team is. They're going to be fighting for the playoffs. So the Angels, I think, have a really solid shot at making the playoffs. But another team that I think is going to make a splash this offseason, and I'm not just saying it as a fan of the team, is the Philadelphia Phillies. I think that they're going to try to make a big splash. I think the owner, John Middleton, is sick of losing. They haven't made the playoffs in 10 years, one of the longest droughts in baseball. They haven't been in a World Series since 2009, so they've been waiting. And this is a competitive market. This is a sports market in Philadelphia that wants their team to win, and I think Middleton's sick of losing. Now, Didi Gregorius was terrible at shortstop last year, so looking at these shortstop options with Correa, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, Javi Baez, are there any of these shortstops? I guess we'll start uh, with Carlos Correa. Where do you kind of see Correa going this offseason? For me, Correa comes down to two teams. I look at who is desperate enough for a shortstop and who has the money and who has the drive to win. And for me, Carlos Correa screams either Detroit Tigers or New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. Tigers, of course, he has the connections with A.J. Hinch. They have the money. They have the gap at shortstop. Of course, Detroit has this really exciting young team that totally over performed performed ahead of expectations you have a guy like Akil Badu who's coming to his own and then Spencer Torkelson should be coming up sooner rather than later I think Detroit's a possibility and then of course you look at the Yankees the Yankees have been always a piece or two away in this baby bomber era of getting to that next level and I think that the organization, in a way, wants a villain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think Al Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman missed the days of being seen as the evil empire, and Correa is going to bring a lot of scorn from the rest of the league, rest of the division, and of course, the talent is unmistakable. He's a baller in the playoffs, which is something the Yankees really have not had outside of Giancarlo Stanton in the last couple of years. So, while I say Correa is between the Yankees and the Tigers, to me, I think Correa is a better fit in Detroit because the way the Yankees lineup shapes up, I think Corey Seager as a lefty bat is a better fit to go to the Bronx Bombers. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I, oh, sorry, Zach. <laughs> I'd agree with that's that, too. Two cents. I just think Correa 
Correa is a better fit with Detroit, and I think Seager is a better fit for New York. Yeah, I would agree with that too on paper. I think you look at the Yankees lineup and the the history of having a good left-handed bat. Now, Joey Gallo's probably back with the Yankees, I'm thinking, but he struggled, and we know how he can be unreliable some seasons as well. I think with the consistency Corey Seager brings, he would be deadly in New York. But at the same time, I look at Carlos Correa, and it just screams at me, New York Yankees, because you look at when Alex Rodriguez went there, there's always been comparisons throughout Correa's career to A-Rod a little bit, but I think Correa's you know, an everyday shortstop still. I think he's obviously an incredible defender, um, one of the best defenders in the league, and I think he just screams Yankees. Like you mentioned, the evil empire, and they have the money, and depending on the scenario, I think it might come down to the money for Correa. If he's between the Tigers and the Yankees, he has to decide what means more to him, getting to reunite with A.J. Hinch or going to the Yankees for more money because we know if it comes down to money, the Yankees will outbid the Tigers at the end of the day. Correct. 100%. They'll just, the Yankees will spend $300 million or whatever it takes to get Correa. That's not the issue. It just is Correa more comfortable in New York or does he want the, the manager connection with Hinch? And obviously the spotlight's not a problem for him because you mentioned how good he is in the postseason. I don't think he shines away from any spotlight at all. So playing in New York with the media shouldn't be an issue, but... Depending on the fit, Corey Seager is the other guy you mentioned. Now, I think Seager fits in really well with the Yankees again because they obviously have that major need at shortstop. But there are a few different places that Corey Seager can go. I mean, do the Seattle Mariners shock the world, spend big, and go get Corey Seager? Or does he go somewhere else? Maybe he replaces Correa in Houston and shocks the world? Seems like a lot of options with these shortstops this offseason. Yeah, the one that I think is a really, really, really good fit, and I'm not sure how you're going to feel on this, I think Trevor Story to Philadelphia seems like a match made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't want to talk myself into it because the Phillies have disappointed me so much in the last couple years, but I would love Trevor Story to be in Philadelphia. He steals enough bases. He's got the power. He's got the glove. He gives you a right-handed bat next to Bryce Harper's left-handed bat in that lineup. Obviously, JT Realmuto's another good right-handed bat, Reese Hoskins, but there's a gap. There's a major gap in that lineup where you need Trevor Story. You need somebody who's going to hit 280, who's going to hit 30 homers, and going to steal 20 bases, and Trevor Story brings you that. Now, JT Realmuto had a bad year offensively. He hit around 260, 270. Reese Hoskins was injured again, but he did hit 30 home runs. So if you roll out a lineup with Story, Harper, Realmuto, you know, Reese Hoskins, not in that order, you have a little bit of everything. You have Story, who's going to hit a little bit for average, hit enough homers. Obviously, Bryce Harper with an MVP caliber season. Reese Hoskin as your power hitter, who, if he stays healthy, has 40 home run potential. I think Story's an immediate plug-in play, and I think he's good enough defensively to be that everyday shortstop for a long time. I don't necessarily think Seager would be a bad fit in Philadelphia. I think Story's going to be cheaper than Seager. And I think at the end of the day, when you look at the Phillies' salary lies, they might not have the money to go spend three hundred million on Seager or you know two fifty whatever it's going to be or Correa because you're already paying Bryce Harper that three hundred plus million over the thirteen years. Now his annual average salary is below twenty five million most years, which is good the way they built that contract up. But if you're going to be able to add pitching like the Phillies need, they have absolutely no bullpen. Story makes like feels like he makes the most sense for that organization. I would absolutely agree. And you look at the other shortstops on this market, and I can tell you where I think 
the matches are best. I think Marcus Simeon is a great fit with the Chicago White Sox. And I also think the one guy that stays put, I think Javi Baez stays put with the New York Mets. Yeah, I could see that uh, happening. I do, agree, I do agree with you regarding Story in Philadelphia. And the Phillies do need pitching because, well, Zach Wheeler had a phenomenal year. I think you need more out of out, out of Aaron Nola, and you need a number three guy too. As well, of course, is the bullpen, which has been just tough sledding really <laughs> since Girardi took over. Yeah, it's been a struggling couple of years for the bullpen. And I think when you look at the Phillies rotation-wise, is Zach Wheeler going to be a Cy Young candidate next year again? Honestly, probably not. I know he's had a great ascension to being a top 10 pitcher in the NL, but I think at the end of the day, he slides back a little bit, regresses just a bit. But Aaron Nola, with his worst career season, coming in with an ERA over 4.5, just a terrible year. It's hard to envision a year where he doesn't improve on last season's poor year. I think he'll get better, and you need to have the money to be able to add a a number three or a number four. Depends how much they're banking on Ranger Suarez. I mean, he obviously was sensational with an ERA under two, but didn't throw a ton of innings last year either. But Javi Baez in New York seems like it makes a ton of sense for him to go back there. He's built for, honestly, he is built for New York. (laughs) Just his personality, um, his charisma, and him and Lindor make for an exciting tandem. I would absolutely agree. And I think Baez's personality works perfectly with the Mets. But the Mets just need to find consistency in their front office. And I don't know if they make any big moves until they figure that out. Yeah, they're having trouble even getting somebody to take that GM job. A lot of people are turning down interviews with them. And they're really having trouble figuring out what direction the organization wants to go in. And... It would almost be better if they just came out and were like the St. Louis Cardinals and made one change like the Cardinals did by firing Mike Schilt after the year and just saying, this is the direction our organization's going in. This is our philosophy and sticking to it. It seems like the Mets over the past few years have had many different philosophies and it's hard for an organization to stay on track and put together any continued success without having one kind of philosophy to follow for at least three to five years. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what the Mets have been trying to do. I think they need to fire Sandy Alderson because he has become sort of the problem of sorts where they GMs are avoiding siding with the Mets because Alderson has still been, you know, the man at the top and everything goes through him. And he's been there long enough where he's sort of developed this reputation and GMs see that, and they see what have ha- what's happened the last few GMs that have come into New York. They don't want to end up like, you know, a guy like like Omar Benaya or Brody Van Wagenen or someone like that where you just come in and your reputation as an executive just kind of tanks mm-hmm. because of how the Mets do things. So it's a, it's a job that someone's going to have to take. I just don't know who's going to be the guy to fall on the grenade, more or less. Yeah, and the Mets have a couple other interesting decisions to make this offseason. Michael Conforto, the outfielder, a guy who's been a staple in the lineup for the last few years as a free agent, I think he's also a guy who I could see in a Philadelphia Philly uniform next year. I don't want to talk myself into multiple guys, but Conforto's a guy that just makes sense to me. The Phillies are uh, declined the player option on Andrew McCutcheon, who 
didn't really play up to what you paid him for, about $17 million a year. And I think Conforto adds another left-handed bat in the lineup. Depending on his price tag, I could see him fitting in Philadelphia. I could see Conforto going to a team like the Minnesota Twins if they decide to spend some money to get an outfielder uh, and try to get themselves back in it. But it just depends on what these teams are willing to spend this offseason to get some of this talent. But the Phillies make sense to me for Conforto. The Twins need a bat really bad. And the Texas Rangers are a team that some people have penciled in to try to contend, try to get some big free agent signings. So maybe a team that looks to spend some money on an outfielder. I don't think they're there yet. <laughs> I don't Florida either. would be a nice piece. And when you're a team like Texas, you need a guy to get butts and seats, get folks to tune in and watch TV. I think Texas needs to start building with what they have and start developing that core as opposed to making a splash and trying to rush the rebuild because that tends to not really work. And we've seen Arizona try and do that. It just... That's not anything, unless you find a guy that's a real flash in the pan. I don't think Michael Conforto is turning the Texas Rangers into a, a wild card contender by himself. No, not at all. And I think a lot of people on social media and a lot of writers have connected some of these bigger name free agents to the Rangers, but I think the Tigers are more likely to spend than the Rangers are, or, or a team struggling to kind of make it out of the, the bottom of their division. Um like the Kansas City Royals, I don't see competing or contending for many free agents this offseason. Obviously, the Colorado Rockies have absolutely just dropped the ball with this year's free agency, basically allowing Trevor Story and John Gray to walk for nothing. Uh, that's just been a complete disaster. What's your kind of opinion on the Colorado Rockies just really, honestly, fumbling a couple of decent players? They are just a poorly run organization, and it felt like holding on to Story and Gray and you feel like eventually they're going to bubble the bag with uh, Herman Marquez. Mm. Why would you hold on to a guy like Trevor Story when you went as opposed to getting value from anything is better than letting the guy walk? It just did not make a lick of sense. But granted, not much that happens in Denver tends to make sense in this day and age. Yeah, it's definitely a tough time to be a Rockies fan. And another team to have a little bit of a rough stretch going on is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And instead of holding on to anybody, they ship out anybody with talent pretty quickly. And one guy whose who's name came up in trade rumors was Brian Reynolds, the all-star. Uh, two. Somebody called him a two-way player. He's more of a five-tool player because he can do a little bit of everything. He hit over 300 this year, blasted over 20 home runs, and did miss some time. But he's only 26 years old, heading into his age 27 season. I think it would be an absolute disgrace if the Pittsburgh Pirates traded him, considering he has three-plus seasons of team control left. And this was something that was debated a little bit before it got shut down pretty quickly. Uh, I can't see Brian Reynolds being traded, and it would just infuriate me as a baseball fan if Reynolds does get traded. Well, if he gets traded, I hope he winds up in pinstripes. That's the first statement i got to make. It would be ridiculous if Pittsburgh trades Brian Reynolds. Eventually, they're going to have to stop the cycle of bringing up guys that have talent, not producing wins with them on the field, and then just getting rid of them for nothing. You can't keep on doing that. That's that's how you lose a fan base. And I'm already very strongly leaning towards Pittsburgh's got to sell the team. Because Bob Nutting has been owning this team for years and years and years and they just have just been spinning the wheels really since like you said that McCutcheon era with 
you know, Pedro Alvarez and all of them in the early 2010s, you can't keep on doing this. You're wasting the time of your fans. And sadly, you have one of the best ballparks in America that's mm. going to lay empty for 81 games a year. Yeah, it, it's just an embarrassment. I feel so bad for the fans because I think the biggest free agent signing the Pittsburgh Pirates have had in the last 20 years or so was Francisco Liriano, and it was only just north of $50 million or so. They haven't spent any money, and as we know, there is a balance between spending money and success, and I think the Pirates saw the Tampa Bay Rays do well without spending a ton of money and said, you know what, we're never going to spend, we're just going to try to figure it out with a budget in. But you don't have the the Tampa Bay Rays analytical department in Pittsburgh, so it clearly hasn't worked, and I, they have to sell that team if they want anybody to remain a baseball fan in Pittsburgh. No, absolutely. I don't understand how teams could try and replicate what the Rays do unless you have personnel from the Rays. It's actually, and I've had this conversation with you know people at my radio station, even my dad, if we've come to the same <laughs> agreement that if the Rays ever win a title managing the sport of baseball the way they do, it might be one of the most impressive feats by an American professional sports organization to somehow, in this day and age where baseball is getting more expensive in terms of how much it costs for elite talent, if you can win a title the way the Rays do, dare I say, that's almost as impressive as what the New England Patriots have done over the last two decades. <laughs> that is a, that's I will a... go that far. I will go that far. The fact that the Rays have stayed competitive spending as little as they have it's a stroke of utter genius yeah no it, it's it's a bold take but one i completely understand because one it's so difficult to win a championship in the game of baseball anyway because it's a combination of talent a little bit of you know lightning in a bottle a little bit of hot and timely hitting and it's also a combination of being smart with the money but i think if they also win it's not only one of the most impressive things of all time it might be one of the worst things to happen to baseball, dare I say it, because some of these teams are going to look at that and say, oh, we can do that without spending, and then they're going to try to do it, and it might ruin organizations even further. Or maybe it will make them realize, well, if you want to be cheap, you got to be smart. Right. There's a fine balance, a very fine balance in being cheap and being smart, and the Rays have managed to have some success, but we'll see how their offseason shapes out. We'll keep you updated here on the Long Relief Podcast. Before we wrap it up, Zach, let's take a look at some of the end-of-the-season awards. Myself and Barrett went into it a little bit before, but now that we have the finalists, I want to get your thoughts as you join the show this week and your opinions on the awards. So let's just start it off with the American League MVP. The three finalists are Shohei Otani, Marcus Simeon, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Who is your pick for American League MVP? I was all over at the start of the season, Vladdy to run away with MVP. I am pretty proud of myself that I picked a finalist, but if it's anything less than Otani being as close to unanimous as possible, I will be shocked. Absolutely. He had one of the most historic seasons of all time, and to do it in this day and age where you don't. You haven't seen it. When have we, we seen a two-way player like that? When's the last time we've seen that? Babe Ruth, maybe. I I can't think it's of anybody. Be Babe Ruth. <laughs> it's it's been a hundred years or so, and for us to be able to witness this, I don't think we realize how special what we're seeing is. He needs to have that 
recognized with the MVP award. It'll be a great thing for baseball. I would love to see Otani just go on this like historic run and wind up as one of the greatest players of all time. I think he can do it. I, You don't see talent like him come across ever. And it's not just that he's got talent. He's in a big market. He's got the charisma. He's got just irradiate star power. He's loved in the clubhouse. Not only is he an MVP, he's a face of the sport. Right. And I think baseball, to grow as a sport, and for Major League Baseball to grow as a league, he is just about as good of an ambassador as you could possibly ask for, on and off the field. Otani is going to be an incredibly important piece to Major League Baseball, growing the game globally as well in the next couple of years. And I think this MVP is going to help him tremendously in doing so. And looking at the National League side of things for most valuable player, it's between a couple of young guys, Tatis, Soto, and then somebody who is a veteran, but still just, I think, hitting their prime in Bryce Harper. I know my pick is Bryce Harper, and I might be biased as a Phillies fan, but I just think his season was a little bit better than Soto and Tatis. And it's incredible because he's already won an MVP, and people have, have been aware that he's been in the league so many years that it seems like Bryce Harper's old, but he's still not even 30 years old. I think he's just hitting his prime right now. Uh, back around mid-May, I was at a Yankees-Nationals game in the Bronx, and Juan Soto nearly took my head off with a line drive home run down the line at batting practice, so I'm going to respectfully disqualify him from the list. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go Harper, and the reason I say that is because the Phillies were just not an impressive team this year, and Bryce Harper almost single-handedly took them into a wild-card position. Yeah, there wasn't much to watch at times this year, but knowing the year Bryce Harper was having and seeing him get just scorching hot made it must-watch baseball every night and made you believe for a little bit that they might be able to do it. Although they fell short, they did have Harper finish as an MVP finalist, and now in the NL Cy Young, Zach Wheeler also a finalist along with Corbin Burns and Max Scherzer. Now, Zach, your pick for NL Cy Young. I'm going to go Corbin Burns. Apologies to Missouri Tiger great Max Scherzer, but Corbin Burns really headlined that Brewers pitching staff that had to overcome an offense that at times just didn't show up, and they clearly didn't show up in the playoffs. But Milwaukee won a lot of games because of great pitching and low-scoring games, and Burns was the catalyst behind a lot of that. So give the uh, award to Burns for, for sure. Yeah, as much as I want to be a homer and pick Zach Wheeler, I I recognize that Burns and Scherzer were a little bit better than him this year. And I'm going to agree with you on National League Cy Young. I'm going to go ahead and take Corbin Burns as well. I think he's uh, had had a sensational season, deserves to be recognized for that. At first, I was leaning Scherzer. I might have picked him in the past. But going back through the data, looking at Corbin Burns and the innings he pitched and how important he was to that Brewers team, I think he deserves that signing award. You know, nothing against Max Scherzer, but half his season was spent with the Nationals. And I think you look at the Dodgers, they did need him down the stretch. But without Burns and Milwaukee, Brewers might not even be a playoff team. Absolutely. That's why, like I said, he really provided that extra boost that got them through the division, survived the late push from St. Louis in the wild card. Yeah. And And then able to get to the playoffs yeah and I think another guy who didn't get a lot of attention in the American League this year was Robbie Ray and I think he's become one of the favorites to win it 
I know also Lance Lynn had a good season, so did Garrett Cole, but my pick for the American League is Robbie Ray. I'm going to go against my biases here because Garrett Cole, everyone's going to say was the spider tack where his season turned. No, it was hurting his hip. Once he came, he missed a start in the IL. He came back, and he was not the same, and that carried into the wild card game. I have to go Robbie Ray because Toronto, everyone came into the season thinking that their rotation depth behind Hunjin Ryu was kind of just this void of mediocrity, and Robbie Ray was able to prop that up to the next level, and he was a big part of why the Blue Jays were able to get as close to playoff contention as they were. Yeah, Ray had an incredible season. Nothing against Lance Lynn or Garrett Cole, but I think he was just just better than the two of them. You know, point blank, I think he was definitely deserving of this award. He definitely shocked a lot of people, and we'll see if they ended up capping it off with uh, a Cy Young Award for Ray. And the last two awards we want to take a look at here on the Long Relief Podcast before we wrap up is American League Rookie of the Year. The three finalists, Wander Franco, Randy Arozarena, Luis Garcia, I'm going to pick a Rosarena out of that group, but I do think that Adolis Garcia got snubbed of being a finalist, at least, because of the season he had. Um, I don't think he would have won anyway, but I think a Rosarena gets my vote for AL Rookie of the Year. I have to go a Rosarena as well, as much as I wish I could say that, as they love to call him down in the Texas broadcasts, El Bombay should have been a finalist. But Wander Franco... Man, oh man, oh man. Wander is the first athlete that I can think of where you you realize watching this guy play, this dude is younger than me, and he's going to be making like seven figures and can hit a baseball 450 feet from both sides and can perform just defensive wizardry in the infield. Meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, I'm calling baseball games, and this dude has got like Cooperstown-level talent. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to a Rosarena begrudgingly. Who do I think is going to be the better player in the long run? Well, it's going to be Wander. Oh, I think Wander is going to be a generational talent. Myself and Barrett talked about this on previous episodes. I think Franco is going to terrorize the Yankees and the Red Sox for a long time in that division. If the Rays hold on to him for a decent amount of years, which him only being, you know, 20, 21 years old coming up, uh, he should be there at least a few years, but you never know with Tampa Bay. And I think Franco is just a guy who, I haven't looked at a player like that since I probably saw Correa come up or Seager and been like, wow, this guy is a generational talent. Now, obviously, you've seen guys come up in the past few years who have competed like Juan Soto and um, Tatis, but I just think looking at it in their first at-bats, I think Franco just screams generational talent just with what he can do on a baseball diamond. The same way I felt about Soto couple years back watching him in person just going holy moly and the same way i felt about Aaron judge in 2017 i was at the game in 2017 when judge hit the ball 493 feet against the Ooh. orioles he hit the back of the, the bleachers in the left center field and i was just i was with a friend i was looking at i was like holy moly did you see where that thing landed and just like wow aaron judge is how old and he's able to do that I feel that same way about Wander Franco, and I hope as a baseball fan, not as somebody that knows he's going to terrorize the New York Yankees for the next five years, I hope as somebody that loves and respects the sport of baseball that the Rays figure out to keep him home. Because that fan base, they deserve, with what they have to put up with through ownership and the stadium, 
they deserve a guy like Wander that just stays with them long term. Yeah, Wander should be the face of that franchise for a long, long time. We hope he will be, and we'll kind of keep our eyes on Franco. I think he's a guy who will get regular updates throughout the year because he's just going to be somebody who probably will be a baseball all-star in 2022. But the final award that we're going to look at is National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, Three finalists there. We have two position players and one pitcher. Trevor Rogers, the pitcher for the Marlins. you got uh, Jonathan India for the Cincinnati Reds and Dylan Carlson from the St. Louis Cardinals who had a decent season. Uh, this this one's not really a clear-cut favorite for me. There's nobody who screams like, oh, man, rookie of the year. That guy was sensational. But I think Jonathan India had an underrated season. I think he was pretty solid in all aspects of the game, so I'm going to give it to Jonathan India in my opinion. Jonathan India looks like a player that is only going to get better as he ages. You can see it in the way he stands at the plate and in the field. And he's got the fundamentals down pat. He's a smart player and one that I believe, as young as he is, he's 24. He's still got a couple more years before he hits his true prime. So give it to India. I think he winds up the best player in the bunch. Although Dylan Carlson really turns it on as of late as St. Louis went on that wacky, crazy September Magic kind of run. Yeah, Carlson's a guy I can see being a solid player for a long time in that organization. Like, kind of like a Matt Carpenter level, you know what I mean? Has a solid, long career with that team. Oh, absolutely. And the Cardinals just seem to dig these guys up out of nowhere. Yeah, the, the Cardinals just continue to produce... Not necessarily superstars. They've had their fair share of guys who have been all-star caliber players, but they keep producing 270 hitters with 20 home runs and guys who fit together perfectly in their organization. Kind of no matter the circumstance, they're always competitive and they should continue to be competitive for a long time. But for now, Zach, that pretty much wraps up our award talk here on the Long Relief Podcast. Before we wrap up episode three, any final MLB thoughts? Curious to see, uh, where do you think Justin Verlander winds up? Justin Verlander, that's a tough one because you look at his showcase, a lot of scouts said they were impressed. They said his fastball was 96-97. He's coming off of Tommy John surgery in his upper 30s, but there's going to be a team out there that's going to give him one year, 15 to 20 million to prove it and try to be a staple in the rotation. It's hard for me to narrow him down to one team because we're yet to see a report that kind of locks him in to a team but at the back of my mind it just says the Yankees are are done with losing they're angry they're tired of just finishing behind the Red Sox the Yankees I think are going to sign Verlander and Correa this offseason and I, I just think it's a it makes sense in my mind because I think the Yankees are sick and tired of losing uh, in the playoffs, and they're going to spend big, and Verlander to the Yankees seems to make sense to me. W- what is your thought on Verlander? I think exactly what you're saying. I think they're going to try and do with Verlander what they tried to do with Corey Kluber last mm-hmm. year. Matt Blake was one of the many scouts at that showcase for Verlander, and Matt Blake has shown a keen eye and able to turn good pitchers into great pitchers, great pitchers into ridiculous pitchers, so on and so forth. You've seen it with the work he's done in the bullpen so for me Yankees seems like a strong possibility don't rule him out going back to Detroit going back to where he started his career and reuniting Houston as well 
Well, it should be interesting to track Verlander, and we've got plenty of signings and news still to come in the MLB offseason, considering we've seen about two free agents signed to this point. And we'll keep you updated with all of that information here on the Long Relief Podcast. Make sure to follow along on our social media pages and subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and YouTube page. But for now, Zach, I want to thank you for being a special guest on this episode. I really appreciate your time, and I hope you had a good time joining us on the Long Relief Podcast. Oh, absolutely. Hey, first recording of many, right? Absolutely. we got 40-plus Kid Cod games coming up this summer, and I'm sure we'll be recording plenty of podcasts in the future as well. Absolutely, man. Hey, thank you so much for bringing me aboard. All right, Zach, thank you for joining the Long Relief Podcast, and thank you to all of our subscribers and listeners. We'll catch you next week with another episode here on the Long Relief Podcast.